Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast by gamers and the insane family at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Episode 46. This week we're going to be talking about Small World, a classic, but uh, an awesome game that we've all got a chance to play recently. And it never ends. It just keeps going on and on, my friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if he told us he was going to do that, I would have said no to this review. <laughs> it's only the beginning. <laughs> All right, I guess I got my intro music for this week. That's right. <laughs> All right, that's going to be our feature review. Also, a couple other things we got to the table and some acquisition disorders because it's almost Christmas. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. But first things first, we have Drew with the news. Yep, shout it from the tabletop. We have news for the board gaming community. Uh, first off, there's a new pandemic expansion. Oh. <sighs> Okay, moving on. Um, Batman Love Letter. Okay, next item. Um, Munchkin. Oh, come, no, 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 guys, guys. No, this this one's actually real. This is a good one. Not just another endless series of uh, expansions, but Munchkin. Uh, Steve Jackson Games is creating a Munchkin pop-up store. Uh, in New York City to be timed at the New York City Toy and, uh, what do they call that? The New York City Toy Fair. That happens every February here in the city. So there's going to be an actual on-the-street pop-up store on 46th, you know the restaurant row on West 46th Street? Yes. Not too many blocks from the Javits Center. Sure. It's going to be right there on Restaurant Row, so it's really cool. You can go down there, have a nice meal, and... Uh, uh, sometime during the weekend, Steve Jackson, uh, John Kovalik, Kovalik, wow. what's his name? They're going to be there signing stuff. Okay. So it's going to be really cool. Um, even if you can't get into the into the toy fair, hang out there. Was it? And the thing I like uh, that I think is cool about it is they put it in a place where there's just a lot of non gamers. So it, it's telling me that 
they're opening themselves up to the casual gamer, the non-gamer, trying to reach out and hopefully interest some more people besides the hardcore. Um, don't know if you heard about this big scandal that has rocked the hobby world. The Ticket to Ride World Championship. You guys know all about that. I just wanted to summarize in case some of the uh, uh, listeners haven't caught that. The person who won the championship, world championship, recently was stripped of his title by Days of Wonder for cheating. At least that's how the headlines reported. The, the person whose title was stripped didn't say cheating. He admitted to making a mistake, to moving out of turn, and he's totally agreed with Days of Wonder taking the, taking the award away because that's what the rules say. They can do it. But the uh, challenger definitely thought there was some cheating there. But. Well, the big issue with that was it was recorded. So what mm-hmm. happened was that after, the, after everything went down and after the person had won, people looked back at the tape and were able to go, hey, he's taking extra turns and taking extra cards. And it seems that they, even though they had two referees kind yeah. of watching this match... Everyone was so exhausted that this player was able to take extra turns without anyone noticing. Yeah, it's like seven or eight games in one day. Yes. Yeah. So that was pretty surprising and pretty insane to cheat for a Ticket to Ride tournament. But I guess like many tournaments that we've all played, there have been people who have somewhat lost their way and, you know decided that it was more important than, you know, fair gameplay. Okay, now, some of you guys have played games for 24 hours straight. So yes. <laughs> you must know what it's like to uh, be trying to play a game without much sleep. Now, do we know if this was intentional? I mean... No, he I, never admitted to intentional. Right, I mean, people make mistakes, right? That's That just happens, especially when you've been playing the same board game for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. You know, moving out of turn, that's a pretty minor mistake. I can't, ima- I can't count the number of times we've made mistakes like that sure. totally innocently. It happened multiple times, though. That was what people were mm-hmm. talking about, taking extra cards, taking extra turns. Well, they, they basically they did a backward, uh, reverse-engineered the game. Um, they figured out how many turns each person took, how many cards they drew, how many cards they ended up with. They never said that they actually saw him actually going out of turn. For somehow they they had the referees and they had the filming, but they couldn't actually see him doing something wrong. They just figured out based on the number of turns that were taken, he took way too many turns. Um, he didn't even go first; he went second. The eventual the the one who won that game, so he shouldn't have been taking more turns than the guy who went first. And that's how they figured it out. It's like wait a minute, you know, somewhere along the line he drew too many cards, played too much. It's one of these things, yeah, it's very, very murky, but Days of Wonder has the right to do that, to review the tape and decide, no, it's just, this, this isn't right. One thing I don't like was how everybody rushed to judgment and just splashed the big word, cheat, 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 right up front, when it could have been an accident. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. So that's that's the controversy, is everybody wants to rush to, to put the scoop out there and say, hey, you know, headline, and it wasn't really... So let's put that to bed. It's, it's nice, though, that, that board gaming is important enough to have its very own scandal. <laughs> um, Operation. There's some, uh, some good and bad news about Operation, the, the board game that we all know and love. Uh, the, uh, the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, has their Hall of Fame of toys and games. 
Um, they had a bunch of uh, nominees. Operation was on that list of nominees, but it did not get into the Hall of Fame. They chose, the cut, right? they chose not to honor a board game this year. So now we know what the toy industry thinks of our little hobby. But the even worse news at the time, right around the time that that vote was taken, was that the, um, the inventor of the, the game operation was in sore physical straits, needed an operation. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the physical nature was, but he was in bad shape. And they, they made light, some of the reports made light of the, for a very small sum, and that was it. He, he sold away the rights. And so this late in life, even though Operation was a fantastically successful game, the inventor didn't have much money to his name. So he and uh, some, some supporters created a Kickstarter fundraiser to raise the money for his operation. And once this became known, Hasbro stepped up to the plate and uh, offered to kick in a lot of money, not, not as a giveaway, but... Basically, what they said was they will purchase the inventor's prototype in exchange for the money that he needs for the operation. So there was a, there was a business deal uh, involved, but it was a timely one. So now Hasbro has the original operation game, and, and the inventor, John Spinello, has the operation that he so desperately needed. So that bit of good news worked out well. Did you guys hear that there might be a new Jumanji movie? Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has no one learned? Has no one learned not to play that game? No. What year is it? Now, the only reason, the only reason this gained any traction was uh, Karen Gillan made some tweet, made some tweet in her Twitterverse um, suggesting that uh, she might be a part of that. But there's no official confirmation. They've been talking about a Jumanji film uh, remake for a while. No, but it got me to thinking, okay, <laughs> what if there was a board game that they made a Jumanji-type film out of, hmm. like a real board game, where it would really be creepy if the board game came alive? Miniatures games, okay, that's obvious, you know, where the little miniatures suddenly bloom in the giant size. Uh, but what about cardboard strategy games? I mean, I'm thinking of games like Cosmic Encounter, mm. Small World. Sure. You open the box to Small World. and There was a <laughs> sequel to Jumanji. Well, not a sequel, but a, a, a spiritual sequel uh, that involved a space adventure board game, right? Zathara? Z yeah, Zathara, something Ugh. like that. It was terrible. but Even worse than Jumanji. <laughs> I like Jumanji. <laughs> Jumanji was fun. Then again, I was the target demographic when yeah. it came out. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I think that... It's it's a it's a hard thing to make interesting. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Even I know it's a it's a concept. It might be brilliant in theory, but no, I, I can't see it happening. Um, we have some CCG news and a little LCG news. It never really made much difference to me. With the, it never really made much sense to me what the difference was between LCGs and CCGs. The line is blurring even more now with Fantasy Flight's announcement that their living card games are going to go into rotation now. They're, um, yeah, they're going to be coming out with new sets. They're going to be retiring old sets. It's creeping a little bit closer to the traditional CCG that we know about. Um, hold on for a minute. Oh, so this is from Fantasy Flight's uh, press release. The living card game model is all about growth and evolution. 
And I thought it was all about stability. But anyway, <laughs> they said, now having recognized the problems inherent within the natures of constantly expanding card pools, we're moving forward with the next stage in the growth of our LCGs. So in order to assure the continued health and success of our games, we're introducing a rotation policy. Is this the death of LCGs? Is there really such a thing anymore? It's part of the problem with the tournament system and that they're trying to address now, whether that's for good or not, I'm not too sure. But, you know, even with an LCG, eventually it becomes so big and there's so many cards to it that it kind of gets away from new players, you know, just trying to enter into something new. And then there's so many cards. I don't know where to start. Can I even play competitively in tournaments? And then there's always the question of meta. You know, when you have you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 different packs and people are choosing to create a deck, it does get a little iffy as far as, you know, there's combos that are unbreakable, there's, you know, certain cards that you must have, but it's only one card from one pack, and that pack was five years ago, so maybe they need to, you know, make things a little bit smaller. This is what they're doing. Yeah, this is, they've identified. But the logic of it, it's, you know, if you think about, that's all true. And it's you can't argue with them on that, but they created their own problem. You release new cards every month. Yes, yeah, for exactly. every single game. It's like, oh, so our greedy business model has made it so we have to make it even worse because yeah. this is the solution to the problem. And I think that's one of the issues is, you know, you're selling so much product and you really don't care about the outcome of it, um, whether it's necessary or not. I, I don't know, but then at certain points, the tournament um, setup becomes unmanageable right you know you can't just sit down anymore and i think that's what they're starting to see is that people are getting away from the tournament scene because you just can't play anymore it's just it's impossible yeah yeah because if you compare it to a ccg uh you know wizards releases three new blocks of cards a year now Uh, it was four now it's just three Mm -hmm. and with an lcg you have 13 new blocks of cards every year because you get those packs come out every month and then they release one large expansion usually every year so it's not the same volume of cards, like a whole, you know, a magic set's, what, a couple hundred versus the 60 that are in mm-hmm. a data pack for, like, Android Netrunner, but it's, the volume of cards is higher, so, of course, it expanded beyond their own scope really quickly. The one thing I appreciated about LCGs was it, it gave you the sense of a level playing field, is that everybody could have the same cards. Yeah. But it's gotten to the point where, no, only the people who have enough cash on hand to keep buying all the new cards not everybody wants to keep up with it financially now here's something you could do so take the l make it mean not living but legacy card game sure you could play an lcg as a plot developing right so you would start off with just the very first base set have have these packs lined up right so you'd start off with very just the very first base set and have these packs lined up so that when certain events happen in game the plot advances and new parties into the field right have it build complexity organically for the people who are playing and it gives a sort of narrative feel to a a campaign campaign yeah yeah i think that would be a good way to help resolve the sort of problems that lcgs are running into nowadays well lord of the rings kind of does that okay i mean those those are story packs yeah like each new segment is like there's a saga which is like the annual release and then the packs that come out monthly support that build into it and they yeah. like the nightmare decks to go on top of that but that's not a competitive game so it doesn't really fit the same model it's cooperative slash solo and I'm sure there's competitions for it because they have competitions for everything but that wasn't even affected by any of this yeah because no, it's, it's not a separate a, thing it's yeah. not a tournament thing but 
even playing Star Trek Attack Wing or X-Wing Miniatures, like Star Trek Attack Wing, when we, when we were talking about that, it was all based around the Deep Space Nine saga, you know, television series. And now recently, it's the Borg. I felt like once Deep Space Nine, you know, the tournament ended, it should have stopped there. Because once you bring the Borg in, it, be, it kind of throws off the power. And then we also talked about power creep, yeah. where new decks are absolutely positively necessary if you want to play tournament. Because some of those cards are just invaluable in play. So it's a very hard uh, hobby to kind of keep your hands on. It's going to be complicated to yeah, keep yeah. up to date. The lines are definitely blurred, though, because you can go buy you know, packs of magic cards that you could just sit down and play with a friend. Like, for every block that comes out, they'll have, like, whatever faction packs or whatever dual packs mm-hmm. that you yeah. can just go buy if you just want to play. So that was one of the benefits of the LCG. You go buy the base set for $40 and sit down and play. Yes. You don't need to go buy 50 packs and build a deck. Magic allows you to do that now. Most CCGs do as well. So, like you said, the lines are kind of blurring a little. Yeah. The only difference now is the collectible aspect. Like, the really good Magic card is still going to cost you 100 bucks. Right. Whereas an LCG, you just go buy the data pack. It's, it's still it's just there, $15. Yeah. You get the card you need. And there's no really secondary market for LCGs. It's That's more of a CCG kind of thing. Because yeah. you can still yeah. get the pack. Yeah. Yeah, if they stop printing them, which they might with this new rotation, who knows? Like I said, yeah, they're, they're going to be cards that are going to be dropped out. Um, yeah, retired some. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out. It just always seems like a, a big marketing thing. Whatever allows them to get as much income as possible. I mean, that's their goal, right? They're yeah. a company. They're trying to stay afloat. Yeah, it's not. And there's another bit of news that came out in the last couple of weeks that basically goes along with that but at the expense of the store owners we always used to think like that's their bread and butter they got to keep selling enough cards to the kids to to stay in business well it seems like wizards of the coast is putting the squeeze on store owners with their magic cards they are well they have cut their margin the retailer's margin by two percent they haven't changed the retail price but they're cutting the discount that they were giving to retailers Mm -hmm. squeezing them so the retailers have to have to give more money to Wizards Sorry. and not charge any more for it. So I, I don't know what that's all about other than Magic wants to increase their bottom line a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, the price of production probably went up. I'm sure they have crazy margins. They're making cards. But they're not but allowing the, the store owners to pass on that, that increase. Yeah, that's the funny part. Like, you don't want to raise your MSRP, but you're raising your prices. Yeah. Because unlike a lot of other games, right, collectible card games, you need to have a store because you need to have someone to run tournaments for you. Yeah. Okay, here's the other point. Um, They're encouraging online registering. So you can now register for tournaments online. You don't have to go to a store. You don't have to do all that. Um, Stores used to depend on that, on registering people at the the desk, signing up, doing all of that, because that was one of the ways that they could show wizards that, look, this is our volume. This is what we're doing. This is... Where do they play, though? Well, they, they could play anywhere. They could play okay. in the store. They could play anywhere. If, they, if you can register online, then your venues are open. As I long mean, they as still you play have the... someone there to run the tournament. Exactly. You could do it in the library for all you care. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And once again, that's a little bit that's nice for the players, but bad for our friendly local game stores. Yeah. And I understand they're trying to capture more of the market for themselves. But, you know, these things, you're going to benefit some and really hurt others. I don't know how this is going to end up. 
in long term you just hurt yourself if you cut out the culture from underneath everything you're like all right well let's squeeze the game stores and then they all shut down and then where are these kids going to go to learn to play these games yeah because even if you can run your tournaments yourself you're not going to be running the weekly gaming sessions where friends just come together and hang out for six hours playing magic because you don't have that i mean unless you really intend to spread your infrastructure that wildly but that'd be well they tried and they failed yeah so they're not going to do it again yeah but, but to be fair is there enough game stores to support people who want to play maybe they're realizing that if they don't do this and if they don't let um gamers get together in unusual locations like a library or a, a cafe or yeah. something that they're missing a huge amount of market because the number of game stores, you know, brick and mortar, are very few and far between. That is true. Yeah, they might be trying to cut their connection to a diseased entity, right? Well, maybe not even cut, but maybe trying to reach out and expand. I mean, we saw this with uh, Target and Barnes and Noble, where you had games like Munchkin, for example, Munchkin Legendary, that was only sold to the big box stores, mm-hmm. and then the small stores were like, "Hey, we support you the entire time. What's going on here?" So, but they were like, we're trying to reach out to a new a new audience that don't have access to a local store. Yeah. So, so it's it's now into a loop. The fewer stores there are, then the less attention that the publishers are going to pay toward the stores. Sure. The few that are remaining, it's tough. I really feel sorry for them. Um, some more big business shenanigans. Hasbro has been in the news recently. Uh, supposedly, there are rumors about a proposed merger with DreamWorks. Wow. Um, the, again, there's nothing as of this recording. There's nothing definite, but the direction seems to be Hasbro buying out DreamWorks. That's how much money they're doing. Wow, with. that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not there, what I would expect. It is could that, even be a take. You know, one of these takeovers. Is that paper money? <laughs> <laughs> they can churn it. They can churn it. Is the, is the money all colorful? And does that mean we're getting yeah. a, a real D and D movie? Like. If they buy them, there's going to be a lot of board game movies. Yeah, God help. May us not all. be may not be a good thing. Could though. Be a HeroScape movie. Well, okay. If you think of the properties that they have, the the really good. Well, My Little Pony, for example, mm. phenomenally. Why do you always successful. go there when I, when I have to? I'm <laughs> a secret know, brony. You know, there's a brony. Yeah, I, I did. Um, so they do have enough big franchises that they could churn out the animated films for kids and to no end. Yeah, ad nauseum, but. The the businessmen, the real hard money people at Forbes and even Nasdaq.com, they're saying, eh, don't don't be in such a hurry. That's why these are still rumors. There's nothing. Yeah. It may not even happen because they realize they're better off being separate. Um, and you know how board game movies. But I got to take a step back. Toys and games are all about the merchandising. It's never been about the toy or the game itself. Toys and games. My Little Pony is not about. Um, you know, you can put out a film about My Little Pony. It's not about the film. It's just about selling more product. Yeah. I think I had that backwards earlier. Um, so I, I can see where Hasbro would think, keep churning out those movies and sell more product. Yeah, I mean, they could have an, an in-house production facility for a lot of their property. They, they're the ones who own Transformers, right? And they're the ones who own... Transformers, uh, yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. and It's been working right. for them. So they could run, they could use DreamWorks to make animated series, right? They change up the model a little bit, but the infrastructure and the skill set would be there. Yeah. Well, they'd find ways to cheapen it. You'd watch the production <laughs> values of Transformers go right down to, 
Yes, we can't let that go down. No, we can't. <laughs> You're right, Drew. That would just, you know, Shakespeare be rolling his grave right now. It's probably the best thing that could happen in Transformers franchise is that they get less money. You know, once you hit once you hit bottom, Drew, you know, hit the core of the earth, you'll eventually come out the other side. So it <laughs> might do some late. good. Okay, let's let's get rid of big business. Talk about small business for a moment. Um, Black Friday's coming up. Black Friday generally. The day after Thanksgiving is all about big business, big box stores. American Express for the last few years have been sponsoring a small business Saturday, the day after Black Friday, to focus on small businesses. And this has been good for the local, friendly local game store, too. In fact, um, the numbers that came that, that I saw about last year was Black Friday numbers were down slightly, whereas the Saturday numbers for small businesses were up slightly. So it, it bucked the trend. There's, a, there's the potential there for more sales. Don't spend all your money at Target or the other stores we're not going to name. Save it till Saturday and go into your friendly local game store and see what they have on sale. That's a thing that we want to support. That is our news for this week. It's a lot of it, but... Interesting stuff. All right, awesome. All right, so next up, we're going to look at our acquisition disorders for this week. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, so acquisition disorders for this week. What you guys looking at? Uh, well, for me, I found out or heard through reliable sources that Ravensburger Game is re-releasing a second edition of San Juan. Re-releasing a second edition, whatever. Releasing a second edition of San Juan, and I could probably just stop that there because I know this is one of the most sought-after games in the market, right? It was clearly not, there are not enough copies printed for the demand, and for me this game has a special, like, personal value because it was the game, I think, that pushed me over from casually attending the board game meetup to being a dedicated member and a dedicated board gamer. It was the one that that just put enough evidence on the fact that this was something I really enjoyed and a hobby I wanted to get more involved in that uh, it, it brought me to where I am today. So I'm extremely excited to get my hands on a copy of San Juan. Yeah, me too. I'm buying that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice. It's, uh, it, it includes the expansion. Um, oh, that, good. Yeah, really? it includes nice. the expansion with it. It's all part of the game now. Plus there's a new building or a new... Okay, I can't remember if it's a new building or a new role. Um, but it, it must be a new role because it's something that if, if you don't get to do what you want to do, it's, it'll give you at least a little something. It'll give you something to, to fill in the gap. So it's, it just corrected something minor where people got left out if they didn't choose the right Sure. And it also right comes role. with uh, brand new artwork, right? I haven't even looked at it. I haven't even seen it. You know, your guess is as good... No, your guess is better than mine, Chris. I'm on a such podcast. a good guesser. Yeah. <laughs> of course my guesses are good. When, it, when we were looking to put together the team, they said, how are your guesses? And I said, they're perfect. I'm on a podcast. All right. <laughs> so, yes, brand new artwork for San Juan. The original artwork was not bad. This new artwork is just a nice kind of clean up, more of a more realistic kind of version yeah. for it. And uh, if you've never played San Juan, it's a very simple tableau-building game where the, the cards act as um, production buildings that you can play in the game, and they'll also act as currency. So super simple. If you're looking for a great entry-level game, San Juan is 
absolutely the way to go. It's one of the most elegant rule sets I think I've ever encountered in gaming. Just the fact that every number refers to the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's, just, it's all numbers of cards. I that's have, it. I have used this as a as an introductory game, a gateway game. It is one of the best in the business as far as gateway. Yeah. yeah. It was super surprising when I out of print. I'm like, how is this not a game people want to buy? Yeah. I mean, it plays well as a tournament, and you know, as Drew said, a great entry level game, but just a very smart, interesting, complex, yet little, little tiny box for a game. And while it does have some aspects of Puerto Rico, this is not a Puerto Rico card game. No. So do not be scared of this game. This is not highly complex, crunchy game. No, I had actually, so right after I played San Juan, people were like, oh, if you like that, let's play Puerto Rico. And then I played Puerto Rico, and I was just. Staring off into the distance, <laughs> wistfully dreaming of the day when I was playing San Juan. I hate when people do that. They're not even remotely the same thing. It's just like yeah. you took the theme and you created a completely different game with it. Exactly. It's not the same game. No, if you're if you're gonna want a next step game from San Juan, you'll you'll try Citadels. That's the next step, the next logical step. And that's why those people are not on the podcast, because their guesses aren't good. No. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so now San Juan's back in print. Maybe someday, soon, El Grande will be back oh, in France. El Grande for, if they could reskin that too, I know that's a little bit of heresy, but if they could reskin that as something new, I would love that too, because that's a great game. Yeah. Okay. Well, my acquisition disorder, talking about nice entry level gateway games, Munchkin, but Munchkin Treasure Hunt. Now, this is, you know, for us gamers, Munchkin is already an entry level, kind of super simplistic, love it or hate it kind of fun cutesy game but steve jackson games developed a board game version of this that will be out at toys r us that's actually a little more cutesy a little more kid friendly the munchkins have shrunk down to kid version the artwork while never at least for me scary or intimidating has also been kind of you know childrenized to a part where instead of just having a zombie who's like losing the leg and his little kind of brain sticking out now it's like it's a zombie he's gray but he's fully together and he's smiling so it's a nice entry level game for an entry level game and then <laughs> which will bring you to other entry level games but if you do have family or children that look at you very strangely when you pull out your hobby board games Munchkin Treasure might be for you because it's a roll and move a little bit, but you do get to play some of the aspects of Munchkin, like asking for help if a player is nearby, and utilizing equipment and treasure to kind of win the day, and still has that wonderful artwork by John Kovalec, so it's a great acquisition, and you should check that game out. Can, can I just rename that? Make it easier for me to remember the game. Um, Munchkin Babies. I think it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great name for it. Munchkin babies making your creatures die horribly. Wow. Okay, um, I I'm always been a fan of print and play because I'm cheap and don't have a lot of money. Um, Wait a minute. <laughs> Is that cheap and easy? You get to pay for paper, yeah, and but, ink. but recycled paper. But ink is expensive. And listen, you can go through you can. Go behind the trash dumpsters of businesses, <laughs> offices, and pull out toner cartridges that still have enough toner left that you can you can get some more. <laughs> this out. man's dedication is unmatched <laughs> in board gaming. That's why he's on the podcast. That's we know why it. I'm on. Great guesses. Drew is willing to go the extra mile. You guys, we're not sure yet, but hopefully by the end of the podcast, <laughs> we'll figure out why you're here. 
All right, Drew, go okay. ahead. It's just, and, and I love variations that, that take great ideas to the next logical extreme. <laughs> and I love that phrase, logical extreme. Bang, okay, came out with a Walking Dead version. Cool, as far as it goes. As far <laughs> as it goes. But we all know that in Walking Dead, you eventually become a walker. So the Bang Walking Dead version never gave you that opportunity. A fan of the game came up with a version. You can find it on Reddit, and I can put the link to that in the show notes. Um, a, a, a fan-created expansion for Bang Walking Dead where the players, when they are shot dead, come back into the game as walkers. Ah, okay. So you can have one team or another win the game, but the game is not over until the walkers are killed. So even if you supposedly win the game, um, the first part of the game, you could still end up losing the whole game if the walkers you know, defeat you. Okay. So they created a whole... I mean, this is not a simplistic game. This guy thought this through. It, it fits very well to the whole Walking Dead world. Um, and if you really are, are serious about about following that theme, that mashup between the game and the TV show, give this a try. And as I said, I'll put it in the show notes. I, I can't wait to try it. All right. Awesome. Now let's talk to the other guys who were clearly carrying in this packet, podcast, Drew. <laughs> guys? I already did mine. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it was so light that no one even noticed. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, all right. You chiming in on it. Anthony. You jumping in on mine. But, oh, no. San Juan ain't good enough for Chris. All right. Anthony, now. you're going to have a newborn soon. So what game do you want to buy for newborns that you can that you can play with a newborn? What, what is a good game for your utero? What are your utero games, Anthony? Your in-utero games. Come on. Uh, You're in the womb. The game called Sleep. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it for acquisition disorders this week. Next up, we'll look at what we've been playing lately. Kicking the Habit. Hey there, kickers. This week on Kicking the Habit, we're going to take a look at four campaigns that recently wrapped up, including Twisted Kicks, the party game for Generation Y, Ginger Dead House, Omen, a Reign of War, Omega Edition, and Omega Edition Deluxe friends and foes, and four brand new controversial campaigns, including The Princess Bride, three brand new card games, Oddball Aeronauts 2, Double the Trouble, Lap Dance, and New Bedford, a board game of historic whaling and town building. So check us out on November 26, 2014, and I'll let you know if you should kick these games off, kick back and wait, or just kick them to the curb. At the table this week. Right, so what have we been playing in the last week or so? Well, for me, in the last week, the thing that I've been playing was uh, the uh, Smash Up Science Fiction Double Feature Expansion, which I used my copy to let Chris play. <laughs> so, you and know. That's why you're on the podcast. There we go. It makes sense now. Because I own some games. <laughs> that's why I'm here. There's a very low bar of entry here, guys. Apparently, what Chris is saying is that you're easily replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> hey, somebody has to have the games and. And the apartment where we record. That's, that's my job. That's true. I'm the guy with the recording studio uh 
Anyway, uh, this expansion, it's a pretty straightforward Smash Up expansion. If you've played Smash Up, you know what to expect. If you haven't played Smash Up, that's too bad. I'm not going to explain it to you. Uh, anyway, uh, this comes with four new factions that you can mix together in the same the sort of Smash Up style. Uh, we've got the Time Travelers that let you go back in your discard pile and move forward and backwards through time. Uh, see what they did there? Um, we've got Shapeshifters that can copy abilities of other cards. You've got Super Spies who can sort of rig the way the deck's going to come out. Uh, and then you've got my favorite, the Cyborg Apes, who are built around having a bunch of actions played on them, and they become rather terrifying rather quickly. Um, so much so that there might be a balance issue, but it's not too severe, so it shouldn't hinder your enjoyment of the game. Especially since in Smash Up, like you all know, you have to mix two factions together, so it's really no one faction can make you win. You have to be smart in how you pair them. Um, it's a great expansion. It's very thematic. It's a lot of fun, and it's exactly what I expected from Smash Up, so I'm, I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I like the new dynamics with that. I mean, it's it's so fitting, and it plays well with the game. Like the, like you said, the time travel is going back through the discard pile. Such a smart and obvious idea, but brilliant. It's really nice to have that there. I got a chance to play the, the Mimics in that game, the Shapeshifters. The, when you play the Mimics, they actually mimic the highest number power of card in play. Now, they're worth zero themselves, but if you can get those out, you can really break a base really quickly. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. The spies, as far as arranging the deck, probably would go better with other races. So you should really try to match these up with things that are already out there. Yeah, I mean, so the way we played it, I played Cyber Chimps and Time Travelers. That is not a good combination. The Time Travelers contributed absolutely nothing. And you played Shapeshifters and Spies, and they're kind of pulling in different directions. Mm. So it ended up not giving us a lot of value. Um, you know, the spies are really good with someone who has a lot of power in their deck that yes. needs to put things out in a specific order. It doesn't work well with the shapeshifters because their whole thing is about playing on the field, right? Manipulating stuff that's out there already. Um, so I don't think that's a terribly great combo. And so we, we made bad combos there, but it was still a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's nice about Smash Up. Even if you're playing it poorly, it's still fun. Yeah. And it's good to see that there are things that don't work together, because if everything worked together really well, that would be a problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, something I brought to the table recently was Jaipur. It's a game I found in John McCallion's collection. You know, I've been um, cataloging that for him. Um, we're up to about 1,600 games now. There's wow. quite a few. But I, I, when I saw Jaipur in his collection, I thought, I've got to try this. It's, it's a very highly regarded game. It doesn't get a lot of attention because it's a two-player game, specifically built for two players. Um, we tend to overlook those, but you'd be surprised at how many casual gamers out there only play games in sets of two, husband-wife or parent-child. Um, I think it's a great game for two players. It's, it, it, in my mind, it's of the deck-building variety of games where you're, you're drawing cards and then you're trying to collect sets of cards Along with these extra, what are they called? Camel cards. So it's got it's got some deck building. It's got some hand management features to it. Um, the best part about that is it's a quick game, but you're supposed to play three games, and then you keep score after three games, like whoever's the best out of three. I actually like games like that. So the replayability factor is high. It's very quick. It's different each time. And if you really suck at the first game, well, let's play it again. Let's deal out some more cards, do it again, and do it again. They have some really good graphics, nice components, very small box. 
definitely a game you should have in your collection. I love it. I, I wish it was in mine, but it's in John's. <laughs> <laughs> At least I got to play it. Yeah. I got a chance to play Munchkin Adventure Time. So, speaking about Munchkin, it is Munchkin, but it does have a lot of aspects of Adventure Time. So, if you are a big Adventure Time fan, this is absolutely positively the game that you want to pick up because this game is dripping with theme. So, you know, in the basic Munchkin, you are building a character by the cards that you get, the races, the classes, and the powers. But in this game, you will actually get a character card. It's a very large card, and one side has the male version, and the other side has the female version, and it will have a special ability just for that character. Now, in addition to that, the rest of the game plays out just like regular Munchkin plays out, but with the exception that it's a little more simplistic... So on the card itself, it will tell you just straight off on top, you know, what the power of this ability is, what the, how many hands you'll actually see a hand, if it's one hand or two hands. Now, if you're an Adventure Time fan, and I mean an Uber fan, you're going to love this because the cards are ripped directly from the show. If you are... Oh my God! <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's why he's on the show, man. And that's our show for this week. We're done. Leave it on the high point. We're, we're, we're done. Now, on the other side, if you're just a casual fan, or... So not true. <laughs> or, you know, you're just... You like to play Munchkin, this game is not for you. Because... The game is so strongly aligned with the theme that the cards that come out aren't just generally funny. They're really only going to be funny for an Adventure Time, I would say, kind of hardcore fan. Because I like the show. I've seen a couple of episodes and I recognize some of the characters. But if you're not a hardcore fan, this is not going to work for you. You should pick up something else. <laughs> a lot so. of in-jokes. In, in, All in-jokes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you play a regular you know, munchkin... You know, the puns and the tropes are there. They're pretty well open for, you know, the general public consumption. Everyone kind of understands certain things. This is strictly for Adventure Time fans. Right. So, before you buy the game, watch the show. You become <laughs> yeah. a fan of the show, and then you'll, you'll like the game. Yeah, watch a lot of episodes of the show. <laughs> Otherwise, this game is, runs a little flat. But yeah. Or watch the show and be like, what? Why? Yeah. <laughs> What is happening? But I know that there are a lot of games out there trying to capitalize on Venture Time. This is the game if you are a hardcore fan. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right, cool. All right. So that's everything we've been playing this week. Uh, next up, we're going to take a look at our feature review. Uh, it's an oldie but a goodie. It's Small World. It's a small world after all. Stop it. Oh, my God. Now for the feature review. It's a world of slaughter, so we're talking about Small World this week. Now, if you haven't gotten to play the absolute gem that is Days of Wonder, you are missing out. Now, Small World takes area control to the next level. It was originally based on Da Vinci, and this is kind of a more artistically cartoony yet highly complex game of taking over this small world by pushing out races in decline and knocking your friends off the board. But not to be afraid, this is not your risk player elimination because in this game what you're able to do is start with a race, 
use that race as much as you can to the best of its ability, and once that race kind of reaches its final level and can't go any further, you put that race into decline and then choose a new race. So that's the brilliance of Small World, that it never gets stale, because once those guys kind of run out of juice, pick a new, new race and kind of invade again. Now, Small World incorporates a number of different boards that match the player number, so you never have to worry about not having a small enough world. Now, the base game plays up to five players, from two to five, but you can also get the expansion map that plays up to six. The game itself comes with a large number of races and special powers. Now, this is the brilliance of the game, because not only are you playing a race, but you're playing a race with a randomly generated type of special power. So in the game, you'll get these really nicely quality, this is a Days of Wonder game, you know, race that locks into a special power. So you could have Dragon Master Amazons, or you could have Commando Amazons, or you could have Spirit Amazons. You could really have an unlimited number of combinations, especially with the expansion. So you'll pick your race to start the game from a kind of little menu, one, two, three, four, five of different races. Once you pick that, you'll get the appropriate number of tokens. So a race comes with a certain number of tokens. On the bottom right, there'll be a number that will specify how many tokens that you get, how many kind of troops. And then the special power will have an additional number that you'll add together, and that will be your number of tokens to kind of invade that small world. Now, that's not it. You also get a special power with each race and a special power with the special powers. Sometimes those powers work really well together, sometimes not so much. But if you don't want to pick that race, that first one that's on the bottom, you'll pay a coin and you can move up the ladder to pick the next race and so on and so forth. When you start the game, you will be entering from one of the landmasses to kind of start your kind of intrusion into this world. There'll be some already in decline races, which will cost you an extra token. Now, once again, since this is a nice entry level game, you don't have to worry about complex mathematics as far as taking over territory. If there's nothing on a territory, no decline race, no mountains, it only takes two troop tokens to take over that area. Simple, right? Now, if there is a decline race or a mountain, which is another little piece of cardboard, it will cost you an additional race to take over that area. So, not too bad, right? Once you kind of spread out based upon your special abilities and your race powers, which are just outstanding because it has such a lot, of, a lot of color, flavor, and theme to it, you you typically go into decline at a certain point, maybe three or four turns in, and that's where the strategy comes in. When do you go into decline? Because maybe your race can conquer two or three more regions, but at the same time, there's that great race out there that you want to pick up. So when you go into decline, you have to kind of like score your victory points. Let's talk about victory points then. The number of areas that you kind of have captured, you will score a victory point or a coin for each of those areas. Now, the coins that you collect are victory points at the end of the game, so it's important to kind of manage that. When you collect those, they'll be face down, so no one knows how many coins you have unless they're keeping a close eye on you. Now, so if you have five regions, you get five victory points or coins in this game, but your race powers and the special abilities will also score you additional points based upon what the combo is. 
Now, other people are going to kind of mess with you to come in there and knock you out. You'll push them out. They'll push you out. Some other player will come from out of nowhere to kind of alter the game. So you want to keep track of what everyone is scoring. You want to control the largest area possible. But you also want to keep in mind your special powers and erase abilities because some of their abilities will score additional points depending on where you land in the board. So you might have an opportunity to have a mounted Amazon which will be able to conquer regions such as farmlands for one less token or you could have forest skeletons that will score an extra gold coin for conquering a forest region. It's a very simple, very fun game, has a lot of flavor to it, and and kind of unlimited number of expansions at this point. So you really can kind of put them all together. There is Small World, which is the base game. There's Underworld Small World, which gets a little bit darker, and it's literally the Underworld. So you'll see some more kind of darker, quote-unquote, creatures, although yet it's still kind of family-friendly. And there's unlimited number of expansions. There's the Great Dames. There's the cursed expansion. So there's a lot of ways to play this game. It's a lot of fun. We talked about the app in previous podcasts that you can play online. And it's a Days of Wonder game, so you really can't go wrong. So let's go back to the real world and see what everyone thinks about Small World. Don't sing it. Don't sing it. Uh. <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> we can't afford to pay that, right? You know, why, you know why you can't sing Small World anymore? Because this is one of the largest worlds in board gaming. You know, when you think of all the expansions and all the races and the possibilities, you can do a lot with this. Um, it's not a small world anymore. Um, that's what makes this really a worthy investment, um, even if you're a little skeptical at first, you got to realize there's, there's so many different ways to take this, except for one, um, Underground. I played Underground, didn't really like Underground, because it gives you missions. It's almost like Mission Risk, you know. For people that hated Risk, well, it's that missions. <laughs> there, there are certain goals in Underground that As I think... the tokens, right? The special yeah, relics. Yeah, and... it detracts from the game. I mean, Small World by itself, even if you bought, never bought another expansion, you would have so much fun with it. Um, it's a great game, beautifully designed. So not all expansions are going to improve. Um, try some, just don't don't go with Underworld. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a very good game, and I've only ever owned the base game, and I've never felt the need to go beyond it, but yeah. it's one of those games like, this would be really easy to have some really cool expansions onto. And it's also uh, one of the very few of my hobby games that I've been able to get my mom to play, get my friends who aren't gamers to play, because yeah. it's so easy, it's so friendly, and it's so charming. Uh, and this that game is actually one I owned before I even met you guys, and it still occasionally makes it out to the table for me. It's still one I enjoy, right? So this is a game I bought before I was even really rightfully a hobby board gamer, and it still holds a lure to me now that I have delved into the depths of the hobby. Uh, and I think that shows just how strong of a game it is, right? It's, it's fun as a beginner, it's fun as a novice, it's fun as advanced novice, intermediate, whatever, and it's fun as having years of gameplay under your belt still, right? It's no matter where you are. Do you think it's possible to create your own races and qualities, combinations? I mean, that's one of the great things about Small World in each of the base sets and some of the expansions, they actually come with blank tokens. Oh, really? So you can create your own race and you can create your own special power. In fact, some of the expansions are fan-created expansions. So when you buy the expansion, it'll actually have the name of the fan who created that. And Days of Wonder has been outstanding to kind of 
you know, help that community build new content because it's what we love. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. It's one of the few places where you can see the sort of modding community that is present for in video games and that sort of thing moving over to board games and making large-scale modifications that then get adopted by the company and then sort of redistributed, right, sent out. Um, kind of reminds me of the player-created uh, game worlds in D&D and that sort of thing, but it's, it's really fantastic how malleable this game is. And I want to just mention, because when I said that there was a number of expansions, you might go, oh, there's you know one or two expansions, but we talked about Small World, the base set. We talked about Small World Underground, which is a separate base game. So if you pick up Small World Underground, as Drew said, he's not too happy with the, the relics and the extra tokens that come into play that give you special powers and ability. Not that but, special. But you, can, <laughs> but you can play with that base set alone, but that's not it. There's... Um, Be Not Afraid, which adds some more powers and, and special characters. There's Leaders, which was recently reprinted, which adds a special leader token to the game. There's Great Dames, which is one of, Grand Dames, I'm sorry, which is one of my favorite expansions because it adds some more powerful women to the game, which I always love to see. There's Small World Realms, which is kind of the yeah. gamer's game yeah. version of Small World, which actually allows you to create your own board yeah, from some yeah. module pieces. Mm -hmm. And the module pieces are double-sided, so you can have a mix of Small World, the base set characters, and Small World, the underground characters, because some of those characters only benefit from those certain tiles. So maybe like the underground character only benefits from volcanoes. Well, there's no volcanoes in the original set, but if you put some tiles there, it kind of works together. In addition to that, there's actually scenario play and mm. team play mm -hmm. in the underground. It's Small World Realms is great because it adds such a huge dimension to hobby gaming. Not for your entry-level players, but for your hobby gamers, it's definitely there. There's also Small World Tales and Legends. And I played this a lot with my family too, Daniel. And I really like that because it adds a deck of cards that act as a global effect each turn. And once again, the artwork is outstanding, so that's really fun. Small World Curse, Small World Necromancer Island, which has just been recently pre-printed, and then an unlimited number of different fan expansions, and recently they just released Small World Royal Bonus, which has some new characters. We talked about the six-player board. Small World A Spider's Web is not out yet, but will be out soon, so you can pick that up as well. And... There's not much more to say than, you know, about Small World for me, from my perspective, other than when I started gaming, Risk was the game. And when I came across Small World, this is the game that really brought me into hobby gaming, and it's still an active game on my shelf, too. Yeah, it probably fits that niche nowadays that Risk did for someone of my generation. Yeah. It's like a starter. you got to have this, and it's going to be enduring. So for me, this is an absolute buy, whether it's Small World and... Drew will talk about his, you know, little bit dislike of Small World Underground. <laughs> I already did talk about it. But, uh, you know, for me, you can't go wrong if it's the original Small World, if it's Small World Underground. The expansions only add to the game. I would hold off on Realms until you've played the original game. But otherwise, an outstanding game and definitely, definitely a purchase. Yeah, yeah. If there's people you don't like in your life, you know, make them make them monsters in this game. Use those blank tiles. Bring them in there. <laughs> Neighbors and bosses. Yeah, create a whole new race for them. It's the in-law race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the horrible neighbors. Yeah, that's it's, a joke because I like my in-laws. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you could have a lot of fun. It's yeah, it's it's a must-have. It's got to be a classic. Everyone. 
Absolutely. It's, a, it's one of the stronger buys I've ever recommended. It's, it is a must-have. It is a core game. Uh, you cannot go wrong buying the base set. Uh, take a look at some of the expansions. Probably pick up some of those, too. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And I was lucky enough to jump on the bandwagon for their designer edition, which we will, well, hopefully once I get it in my hands, I'll do an unboxing video so you could see how they raised an already outstanding game, especially with the components, which are really high quality, to an even higher level. But uh, go out, pick up Small World, enjoy the fact that you can kind of smash and crash your friends, no one gets eliminated, and everyone has fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a game I have not played yet, but <laughs> somehow, one of those, every now, everybody's got those games that are like hobby, you know, cornerstones you just never get around to playing, and Especially with the podcast, we don't always get around to all of them, but it's on the bucket list. I will play it. I'm sure I'll like it. I've played the app a couple times. It was fun. So it's uh, definitely the kind of game I would enjoy, and probably something I would pick up eventually because it's you know accessible, easy to teach. Um, I'm always trying to drag my family into the well hobby. Well balanced. So. <laughs> a lot of hours of gameplay had to go into this playtesting. Very balanced. Yeah. Mm. No, that's awesome. All right, so that's everything for our feature review of Small World. It was an easy one, one of the greats of uh, hobby gaming, but definitely one that's worth grabbing, especially because the support here has been amazing. You know, they're going to keep releasing stuff. They're great with their fans. Um, I want to see the designer edition. I saw a couple pics from Essen, but they were blurry on cell phones <laughs> behind glass. Looked like everything was made of wood. <laughs> yeah, even if you don't pick up the designer edition, the regular edition, the components are pure days of wonder, and you won't be disappointed. Awesome. All right, so that's everything for our feature review. Next up, final round with Drew. Hey, this week, final round is celebrating Black Friday, the day when steep discounts are the order of the day. Um, now, we, we buy games all during the year, but there are some things that we just can't get or won't get because the price is so steep. So I thought, what's your wish list? If there was a big, huge, giant, expensive box that had a steep 90% off discount, what would that be? What would you be first in line for at, let's see, when, when are they opening now? Thursday. Noon, noon on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Which games would you skip Thanksgiving dinner for to wait in line? Um, and, and I'll give you an example. The Ogre uh, Designer Box which is larger than most school children. It's huge. <laughs> Definitely weighs more, more than most school children. Yeah. It's a gigantic box. And um, it's, it's one of those where it's a lot simpler to play than it looks, than, than the unboxing. You're going to spend more time unboxing. It's a lot of fun. You get to manipulate these guys around the board, and you're trying to bring down this one great big giant uh, machine. Um, beautiful miniatures and a beautiful... Um, you know, beautifully designed board. Um, but the ogre box, you don't have to put anything together. It's all there. It's all, that's what's great about it. So it's, it's basically right out of the box, play it. Um, but too huge to, to want to buy on your own. Yeah, well, for me, the, the, the dream would be a big box version of defenders of the realm, right? The core game, all the expansions, everything thrown together. I would, I, I would be there the day before Thanksgiving if I had to be. Uh, my family sees enough of me anyway, right? Uh, but yeah, Defenders of the Realm is a fantastic game. It's one I've really wanted to pick up, and I really want all the expansions. None of the expansions have looked to me like they were going to be anything but wonderful. Uh, so, but but it's expensive, right? It, it's, yeah. The core set's ninety dollars, right? And then every expansion adds on to that, and eventually you're 
looking at something that's going to be approaching a $150 game and... But 90% off. off. You, yeah. could, you could afford it then. If it got, <laughs> yeah, right. if it got knocked down, I would, I would love to pick that up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, for me, I almost said Imperial Assault, but then I realized I'm going to buy it anyways. <laughs> so I don't know if that really counts, regardless of price. Uh, I was telling my wife this morning, trying to describe to her what it was and where to look for it for Christmas. And, I was, and then at the end, I was like, maybe I'll just buy it, and you can just get me less stuff, or we'll just call it good. <laughs> Because if you don't, I'll have to go get it again. It's fine. Um, so for me, I'm going to go with Space Hulk because it's super expensive. When it's not in print, it's rare. It's not going to be on sale anytime soon. But if there was some magic, happy fairy sale somewhere, um, if a local game store basically had a Black Friday sale for 25% off or something and they had a copy of that, it would be all over that. That's your Black Friday buy. Yeah. Hmm. For me, it would be Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. This is the huge out you know, buy, you have to buy an extra table for it. So it's not just the price of the game, but it's, yeah, I have to buy several more tables to kind of fit this game in. You know, it's an expensive game. It's worth it for the amount of components and the complexity of the game, but it usually runs over $100 at your local store. And if you're going to buy something that you're only going to play maybe once a year because of the time commitment, it would have to be at a massive sale because... It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but you're only going to see it maybe once a generation <laughs> hit the table or hit several tables. Wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, there's a couple of they're like the bucket list games. You're like, okay, so it'd be amazing to own this, and I can afford it, but I'm going to play it once. That's right. And then I'm going to be really annoyed, and I'm, it's going to be Drew's Demacher. You're like, oh, come on, guys! <laughs> well, you know, it's it's the lead up to Christmas, and what better time to wish for things that we'll probably never get than? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm getting I'm getting Imperial Assault. That's well, that one. Okay. <laughs> well, that's our black market bucket list. Our final round for this week. Our Black Friday bucket list. <laughs> what did I say? Black, black market. market. None of these games <laughs> are illegal. None of these games are illegal. Not but, yet. But we're Not Drew. We're Drew shops. They're illegal. <laughs> some people get twenty percent discount, and some people get a discount that falls out of someone's truck. Well, yeah. what do you say? What's wrong with that? Now, now we know why Drew's on the podcast. <laughs> sure, John's collection. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that's everything for this week's episode. Make sure you connect with us on all the right places. Facebook, Twitter, we're at BGA Podcast. We are on Board Game Geek. We're on Board Gamers Anonymous. Follow us on Stitcher. Hit us on iTunes and leave a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, but everything for this week, that's everything for me. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. And until next time, we'll save you a place in our small little world. That is until we come in with Commando Giants and we knock you out and put you into climb. But nonetheless, we did save you a place, and in the end, that's really what matters, right? Right? right. Yeah. yeah no, okay, sure. Space was saved, but just because you took it back. Yeah, you know, it's temporary space. We never said you keep it forever. <laughs>